welcome. Um, we are in the middle of a series called Rooted, and it's a series where we're trying to get our lives as rooted into the core things of Jesus, the things we believe of Him, the things that we try to live into with Him. And we're orienting it around a question each week over a 10-week period. And the question for today is, why and how should I tell others about Jesus? Why and how should I tell others? And I'm going to start into that by telling you a little bit of my own journey with that question, which has, was not an easy one for me. Um, I became a Christian when I was 16. And after I became a Christian, it was like I had never imagined there was that much love available in the whole universe. I kind of was in a season before that where I felt dark and heavy and like there's no space in God's family for me. And when I came to follow him and I realized there was that love, it's like even if the Bible didn't say tell anybody else about it, I probably would have just because I was so excited about the effect he was having in my life. But then I got scared. I'm like, man, I don't want to be weird. I don't want to be pushy. I don't, want to, I don't know how to do this. They're not going to want to know. And so I kind of just didn't do anything with it. And I just set into a pattern where I really didn't, so I mostly just shrank back. And I kind of felt between a rock and a hard place because I really did believe that Jesus wasn't just good for me. I really did believe that he came for the whole world, but I was scared to take that to anybody outside of the church. Years passed, and I was still in that bind. But as the years passed, I started to learn more about the love of God more about how His Spirit comes inside of us. And when He tells us to do X, Y, or Z, He's not saying go out and do this amazing deed by yourself, but He was actually saying let me do that with you. Let's do this together. That that was His real ask. And so I kind of threw it back on Him with this whole thing of how and why should I tell others. And I just kind of said, God, I'm probably the worst faith share on this particular planet. And I'm scared of it. But if you have somebody on this planet who needs to hear about you in the way that I can share you, bring them, and I'll try not to screw it up. And by the way, did I tell you I was scared? So that's kind of my little conversation with the Lord, and I was praying for that. And I started praying pretty regularly, Lord, if you bring me somebody, I'll do something with that. And I met this guy named Bill. I had just finished preaching at the church where I was on staff at that time. And he came up to me after. He said, I've been driving past this church for a year now on my way to go running up at the Stanford Dish. And I had mentioned in my sermon that I like to run there. So he said, he just came up and said, hey, we've got that in common. And I said, well, Bill, let's just go run there together. And as we ran, it became very apparent to me that this guy is a big, big brain guy. He's way smarter than I am. I can't spar with him and convince him of anything. So we're running and he's saying, you know, Ben, I've tried most of the world's religious systems. Said, I've tried the Muslim system. I have tried the Hindu system. I actually went to India and lived with the Maharish for this time. And I've tried this other religious system. And now I want to try the Christian religious system. And he, it was kind of like he was describing diets. Like I've tried Atkins and paleo. Now I'm going to try the Jesus diet. And I didn't know anything to say, but all I could say, what came to mind was, Bill, what, all I know to tell you is that inside the Christian faith, there is no system. There's just a person named Jesus who gives love to people. 
who receives love from people, who knows people, and is knowable by people. And we're running along, and he stopped like somebody had slammed him in the chest with a sledgehammer. And he said, if that's true, then this is different from everything I've ever looked at in my life. And we talked more, and we ran more. And, I, and it was just like two friends. It wasn't like I was forcing anything. He wanted to be talking about this, and so did I. It was a highlight of my week. And over time, Bill started to be a follower of Jesus. Not long after that, he met and he married his wife, and I'm in his wedding. And then he became an elder in his church some years later. And in time, Bill helped other people find their way back home to God. And I'm like, wow, Lord, that was different. That wasn't what I was so afraid it was going to be. And I want to share with you probably the passage that God used more than any other to help me kind of turn a corner on this thing that I said I probably should do, but I never would do it. But God helped me turn that corner, and this was one of the passages he uses, used for me out of Luke chapter 5, verses 1 and following. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, but the people were crowded around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat who came to help them, and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. And he, for he and all of his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled up their boats on the shore, left everything, and followed him. So Jesus is there by the Sea of Galilee, and he's preaching, but the crowd that gathers is so large, you can't really be heard or seen. So he talks to one of the fishermen. He said, let me get in your boat. Peter, push out a little bit from shore, then everybody can see and everybody can hear. But at the end of it, as the sermon's over, he says, Peter... Now I want you to push out from shore into deep water and I want you to let down your nets for a catch. And Peter says, Lord, I fished all night and I hadn't caught anything. But because you say so, because you say so, I'll do it. And so he pushes out and he puts down the nets and they catch so many that even he and a partner both, they can't haul in the nets the way they're filled up and you know, Jesus, for Peter, is probably the most famous preacher of his entire lifetime. He'd never heard of anybody like that. This guy is in his boat bringing a miraculous catch. He knows something's up. And he just says, Lord, get away from me. I am a sinful man. You've got the wrong guy. And Jesus said, Peter, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll fish for men and women. And he took this guy who had no ability that he knew of, and he fulfilled that promise. And what I want to say, first of all, is because you say so, overcame Peter's objections. 
Peter put, went out to deep water again. He put down his nets under protest. First of all, Lord, I've fished all night and I hadn't caught anything. And I think the subtext is, and I'm a professional fisherman and you're a professional preacher. <laughs> and his other protest was, Lord, I'm, you got the wrong guy. I'm a sinful man. But when he did it with Jesus, he found out when you're fishing with Jesus, it's a little bit different proposition than when you're fishing by yourself. I had to say for myself, I have my own objections about trying to fish in this way for people. And you probably do too. But what I would also say is that because you say so, that can overcome our objections as well. And I want to unpack some of that. This isn't the only place that Jesus told ordinary, unqualified people to be a part of sharing his love with people. The last thing he said before he went back to heaven out of Matthew 28, chapter verses 18, 18 and following, he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all people. He didn't say, because you're an expert on this, go. He didn't say, because you have no fear, go. He didn't say, because you understand all the mysteries of God, heaven and hell, and can answer every question, go. He just said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore, go. To kind of put it in kid speak, he said, I'm the boss of you. Go. And even over our objections. My first objection was this. I'm afraid. Lord, I'm scared. When Jesus began to call me into deeper water, I'm like, Lord, I like this shallow water. This ankle-deep stuff is great. And yet I felt the Lord saying, yeah, but that's not where the fish are. I need you to get out into deep water and put down your nets for a catch. But that was my first objection is I'm afraid. But I started to realize, you know, this is kind of what he does. He said of himself, you know, I'm that kind of shepherd that even though I have 99 sheep already, if I know of one out there that's wandering around in danger, I'll go after that one. This is a big part of what he spends his time doing. And if I, don't, and if I want to be with him in that piece of who he is, I've got to kind of overcome this fear and learn how to go with him. My second objection is not going to work. At least not for me. It's not going to work. That was Peter's objection. He, and his logic was good. He's like, Lord, this is the same lake I got skunked in last night. It's the same nets, same boat, and I don't have any new tricks. His logic was sound. And if you think about it where you and I live, we could equally complain. USA Today, 20 years ago, came out with an article that said the Bay Area is the least churched area of the entire United States. Now some other areas, Seattle and some other places started pushing back, but at least we're, we made the honor roll, if you want to call it that. We're, we're in that kind of ground. It's like, Lord, it's not going to work. Harvard did a study about 10 years ago. It came out in the San, San Jose Merck, and it said of Bay Area people, the Bay Area people are unexcelled in their spiritual apathy. Wow, so we, you know, it's easy to say, Lord, it's not going to work. But as I said, when... Peter started fishing with Jesus, it was different. It was different when he fished with Jesus. I'll share with you one of my favorite verses in all the Bible when it comes to sharing faith. And here's what it is. John 6, 44. Jesus said, No one can come to the Father, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. And I realized, you know what? I can't talk anybody into this. Not on my best day. 
Could I talk anybody into faith? But if the Father is working on somebody, then that's different. That's what it was with Bill. I I didn't have these great arguments to compose to bring Bill to a place of faith. It was somebody the Father was already working on. And when the Father's already drawing somebody, that's a whole different kettle of fish. And I realized maybe there is room in this for me. It's what happened with Bill. It's what happened with all the Bills I've met since that day. And there have been Bills since the first Bill. In my mind's eye, what I was, what I was envisioning when it comes to faith sharing is me pushy talking to people who have no interest about something they don't want to know about. And then I, re- I kind of felt like a little, a little eager getting ready to play baseball but you look up at the, at the pitcher's mound and it's Madison Bumgardner standing up there and you're like, this, ain't gonna, this is not going to end well because it's going to be 95 miles an hour and it's going to be diving and slashing and doing all this stuff. And I'm like, this is not going to end well for me, Jesus. I need you to throw a nice slow pitch right over home plate. I said, Jesus, actually, scratch that. I need T-ball. Lord, I, this is what I need. If you will do what you did with Bill, that I can play that game. I can play that game, that this Jesus who has been good to me is not only good to me. He's good for other people too, and I can be a part of that. Became became convicted that my job was not to fill the nets, it's just to drop them, to get into deep water and put them down. Jesus' job to fill the nets, mine to drop them. My uh, My other objection was, I don't want to be one of those people. I don't want to be one of those people. I don't want to be that guy in the end zone with the rainbow afro and the John 3.16 sign. I don't want to hit people over the head with a Bible, Lord. I don't want to force it down people's throats. I don't want to come across as one of those judgy people who come across as I'm all right and you're all wrong. I don't want to be like that televangelist who turns Jesus into a four-syllable word, saw. That is not the way I want to be. And I got the feeling from God of him saying, that's not who I want you to be. If I'd have wanted you to be like that, I'd have made you like that. I made you Ben. But there are certain people on this planet who need to hear about me the way you can share. And Savannah was talking about each of us have a unique story. It's handcrafted by God. There are people on this planet who need to hear about him the way you share him. Not the way Billy Graham would be a total turnoff, and so would Ben Pierce, and so would Gary Gadini. But you, for a set of reasons, they need it the way you can share it. You don't have to be one of those people. 1 Peter 3.15 says this, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. I can do that. If God tees somebody up on my little t-ball stand, like Bill that day, he's basically saying, Ben, why do you think this stuff makes sense? Why do you do it? But talk to him with gentleness and respect. I can do that. I can do that. God sets the stage, he's, and when God is drawing him, then it becomes doable for me. Last, uh, about 10 days ago, I went down and ministered with Street Life. How many of you have done that before? It's a very cool experience. Um, It's a ministry of this church and other churches in the area to the homeless, kind of in this mid-peninsula area. And we went down, it was a rainy night, and we went down to serve 
the meal. And what I watched happen is, you know, you got one or two people there, and they start telling their friends. They start saying, hey, the, the food's here. And tonight they've got hot chocolate because it's cold and it's rainy. And the people come, and they start gathering. And I used to see the younger ones would find chairs for the older ones who kind of hobbled in. And they were helping each other and telling each other, this is, this is good, this is the food. And it was rem- I was reminded of that saying that said, sharing your faith is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. There's no condescension. There's no judgment. Bread is good. I was hungry, he fed me. You're hungry, he can feed you. It's not me up, you down. It's just, I even flipped it around. I said, it would be a pretty hard-hearted homeless person who would say, I've found the food, but I'm not telling anybody. More for me. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that guy. And I don't have to be these stereotypes of all my negative, judgy, pushy, superior things. And somewhere between John 6.44, which says no one comes to God and can come to Jesus unless the Father's drawing him. Okay, well, the only people I have a chance with are the ones you're already drawing to yourself. And 1 Peter 3.15, be ready to tell, the only thing I am an expert on is my life. So I can tell why he is my hope. And I can do it with gentleness. And I can do it with respect. So I want to get into a little bit of the how-to. We've been talking mostly about why-to so far. The how-to, I've already alluded to the first thing I'm going to say, and that is number one, let Jesus do the heavy lifting. Let Jesus do the heavy lifting. That's the only way people like me can get into the game. That John 6.44, no one comes unless the Father's drawing him. So let Jesus do the heavy lifting. How many of you grew up uh, raising tomatoes? Or your parents maybe had, had... My mom, big, big gardener. Everywhere we lived, we always had uh, plants out in the back. She'd send us out in the summer, get some, pick the green beans, pick the tomatoes, pick the this, whatever it was in season. And so I grew up with all these tomato plants. And whenever I'd go out, there'd usually be about 18 green tomatoes and maybe a couple of red ones. The only ones I picked were the red ones and I left the green ones. I didn't kick the green ones out of the garden, but I didn't try and pick them today. And so that's kind of the analogy I have for this, is when I'm looking, who is it that God's drawing today? I don't meet him every day, I don't meet him every month. But Lord, where's, who's my next bill? I have this, what a friend of mine calls, holy curiosity. I wonder if I'll meet Bill today. That ripe tomato. I don't curse green tomatoes. My dad was a green tomato for 25 years. But I met red tomatoes as I was praying for him and waiting and waiting and waiting. And at age 76, all of a sudden, pop, my dad's red. He accepts Christ. You know, so life's made up of green and red ones, but the only people I can help today are the red ones. Lord, lead me to the people that are ready today. Second how-to is pray. Pray. Luke 10.2 says this, Jesus speaking, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, feel super guilty. Right? Yeah. Oh, no. That's not it. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, work yourself to the bone trying to make it happen in your own strength. Right? Nope. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray. Therefore, pray. And I'm like, Lord, 
There's got to be somebody out there who needs you in a way I can help. If you don't bring them to me, I'm dead in the water. I can't help you with a green tomato. But I pray. And here's what I find. When I do pray, I meet bills. When I don't pray, that spiritual apathy that Harvard's talking about, it sweeps me right away with everybody else. I'm not even looking. I don't know if the bills aren't there or maybe I'm just not awake when I see them. But when I pray, I, God tends to answer that prayer over time. A friend of mine taught me a trick with this uh, Luke 10.2. He said, set your phone for 10.02. And I set a five-minute appointment for myself just to pray. Lord, lead me to somebody. 10.02 every day. If you're with me, you'll see it come up on my phone. But it's just to pray. Third thing in the house story. Own your own God story. 1 Peter 3.15, it says, Always be ready to give a reason for the hope you have within you. It's your story. It's your hope. Why do you have hope? Probably if, you, if you're here over time, you'd say, yeah, I, there's a reason that I'm coming here. I have found hope in Jesus. It might be harder, though, if I said, could you, tell, could you put it into words? Could you put it into words? I do this um, gathering every week for about 30 minutes right before this gathering over in a room over there for folks who are trying to learn to put their nets down. It's not an exclusive club. Anybody is welcome. But I said a while back, okay, I'm gonna, let's pretend that somebody asked you what about the hope within you and you only had two minutes to say it. Could you do it? And you know what everybody said in that room, or most everybody? They said, I don't have a story. Because I wasn't a Satanist high priest who became a drug dealer and wound up face down in the gutter before Jesus saved me. My, my story's not sexy. And we said, guys, just humor me. Tell us your story. If Jesus is in your life, you've got a story. And so, like one a week, we'd have somebody share their story. And when they started talking about what was real to them and why they loved Jesus, you could hear a pin drop. Everybody's leaning in doesn't sound preachy or judgy or anything. It sounds real. And everybody's got a story. If you know Jesus, you've got a story. Kid, you call it out. Own your own God story. And last, get some support. Get some support. You know, have you ever had a car that pulls one direction or another? Either because the steering gets out of alignment or a tire is not aired up or something. Even though you're trying to go straight, it, it's trying to curve. The, the wheel of my spiritual life tries to curve away from this. It does not curve towards sharing faith. So I need support, and I suspect many of us do as well. And here's four things I'm going to tell you that are going on at PCC that could support you, and I'll tell you in a minute how you can get more information on it. But the first is this. This rooted series that we've been in from the pulpit is actually designed to be a small group series, and you get more out of it in that context. And it helps you as one who would share their faith in two ways. First of all, it helps us play a better game as followers of Christ. And second thing is that there's a whole week given to helping you own your own story. And not of all I could say, how would I actually put that into words? It's coming up in January. You could be a part of that. Secondly, I have a weekly podcast. It's a three to five minute little McNugget of biblical truth about putting our nets down. Sign up, get on that. 
You see, you're not the only crazy person in the world trying to be a fisher of men and women. Third thing, I have that weekly gathering I was talking about. 30 minutes, you either come early for this service, stay late for the other one, it's sandwiched right in between. Anybody is welcome. And lastly, I have a class coming up in February called I Disciple. It's our deepest dive of helping people with this, of how in that way that has gentleness and respect and is natural, how do I actually do this? You'd be welcome in any of those. And if you are a texter, the easiest way to get more information is just text the word support, not the quotes, just the word, to that phone number and you get an email with details about how to be a part of any of that. If you're not a texter, just look at the bottom of your sermon notes and you'll see all of that information right there. One of the things that I love about God is he does not call the qualified. He doesn't do it. If you think of everything in the Bible, any instance in the Bible where God approached somebody and said, I want you to do something, what was their answer? You got the wrong guy. You got the wrong woman. I cannot do that. He doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies those he calls. If you're not qualified, you're right in there with everybody else in the Bible. But God uses the weak things. He uses folks who don't think they can get used. Who say, but because you say so, Lord, I'm going to start praying. I'm going to let you do the heavy lifting. If you lead me to folks that you're already working on anyway, I maybe can help with that. And lead me to somebody who needs to hear about you the way I can share. It's different from the person next to me. God is good at taking people like you and me and turning us into knucklehead fishermen and t-ball players for the kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you really are good enough. You are so good that it's worth not only our coming to you, but it's worth other people. Lord, you don't just answer my need. You answer the deepest longing in human souls. But Lord, we're weak and we need your help. If we're going to share your love, we need you to teach us a new way of doing it where we, let, where we do it with you, not for you where you do the heavy lifting and you make a way. And Lord, we pray you'd help us find our bills. Those people where it's the highlight of our week to talk about that and it's the highlight of theirs too. And Lord, we ask you to build your kingdom and use us to do it in Jesus' name. to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We're located at 3560 Farm Hill Boulevard in Redwood City, California. You can reach us online at www.peninsulacovenant.com.